1: Hey everybody, Patrick Connor here, and welcome to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. And we're just kind of rattling off some history here, which means I'm here with my boy Eris Pina, who is a CompuBox operator, but also just a fellow fight historian like myself. And today we're talking about like gym legends, myths, uh, all sorts of gym wars and stuff like that, that we've kind of encountered, Eris, right in this thread it's an online thread actually on box rec so we're kind of just going through and picking and choosing these crazy stories from gyms and training and stuff like that and seeing what's what right
2: yeah man you know there's always been like an unwritten rule i guess in the sport especially when it comes to the gyms that you don't talk about uh what goes down in sparring sessions or like you know training or anything like that especially if like a top level guy gets roughed up in a session it's always supposed to be like, oh, man, don't go bragging about it. Don't go put this history out. Don't put video out. Uh, it's especially nowadays where that's like more commonplace where like someone wants to make a name for themselves. They beat up someone who has a name. And so the video ends up somehow on Instagram or Twitter or something. Right. And all of a sudden, you know, a name dude you see getting like knocked around and everyone's like, oh, shit, look at that. Oh, blah, blah, blah. and now there's a whole host of people. They shouldn't be putting that out there. That's not right. You know, boxers code or whatever it may be, but. Of course, boxing's been around since the beginning of time, practically. And with that being said, um, there's a lot of you know tall tales or stories or whatever you may want to call it that um that's developed over the years from there. Really interesting ones, in fact. So, like you said, man, this we found this box record um thread on the forums, and it was about like you know famous gym stories, here sparring sessions, whatever. About concerning a lot of all-time greats, some not all-time, whatever it may be, and um, what's happened with them inspiring, ranging from all the way back to the, like the days of Jack Johnson up to Marvin Hagler, Sugar Ray Leonard, um, and everyone in between. It's really interesting stuff, man, because it ranges between like stuff that has been corroborated, like some, you know, a few of them, Sonny Liston getting knocked silly in sparring, up to, like, wait, what? This makes absolutely no sense. There has to be bullshit. So makes sure for a fun read and also a fun discussion.
1: Well, it's, you know, I mean, I, I guess that we have done a lot of history stuff, and while we, I think, I think that you and I do not to toot our own horns or whatever, but I think you and I do a good job of doing our best to uh, to make sure that stuff is factual or as factual as we can make it or as that we know and as, or as much as we can research or whatever. But at the same time, there is kind of like a somewhat lighter side of history, you know, the mythical matchups and stuff like that, where it does take a little bit more extrapolation, takes a little bit more imagination, takes a little bit more. And
2: that's always that's a lot of fun, man. I love yeah. mythical fights and talking like hypothetically about a lot of different shit and all this yeah. stuff. Huh? And
1: we don't do really do that a whole lot. So I guess today's you know a pretty good opportunity. We are we are borrowing pretty heavily from that box wreck thread but but also, i mean it's
2: it's, also, it's just that's what i found it fascinating when i went through it and then i sent it to you and i was like this would actually be a really good subject
0: just it's like, good to,
1: to it's because. and it's it's there's a lot of stuff in there that i had never heard and a lot of stuff exactly. that, you, that i have also heard over the years and stuff too but like a really really quick example just to kind of give it give people an idea of what we're talking about right an example especially like a, a more recent example or a contemporary example I remember in the in the 1990s um, I guess it, well it was in the 1990s and early 2000s people on message boards and stuff like that had talked about that Shane Mosley was well known in the southern in southern California as an amateur as a teenager for like what he do, what he did in the gym and blah 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 and I remember I was just kind of mentioning that the other day actually because some fighters do pan out but some don't some look fantastic in the gym some look incredible in sparring some kind of that's their claim to fame is some crazy shit in sparring or in the gym but then they don't pan out as pros so that's partially what we're talking about but just kind of like the the random urban legends and myths and stuff like that when it comes to boxing in the gym you know what i mean
2: absolutely man you know it's like you said there's always been a lot of rumors up until today of guys even up to like Floyd May where they're getting knocked down sparring knocked out other people getting the better of them and then you hear about like rumors about it and then the video actually does exist like remember for years when the rumors first started about Paul, um Paul Spadafora. yeah, yeah. yeah. getting the better of Floyd and then it came out and everyone you know, <laughs> whole thing drawn out for a number of years from there and it's it's interesting man because the thing is sparring is obviously a lot different from fighting As you and i both know that we're not like you know consider ourselves world-class fighters or even good ones in the pack, but like we've had experience in the gym we've had experience sparring and you know fights and such matter so yeah
1: we've, you know, we've like, done enough to know that we haven't done shit yes absolutely yeah i mean like we, good, yeah. we've been in the gym and enough to know that like we kind of suck
2: oh yeah most definitely man but (laughs) like we've seen enough in the gym too to know that sparring in actual fights and how people at you know react exactly it's always like totally different and so world-class fighters all-time great fighters sometimes can get their ass kicked in in sparring because they're not even just for the whatever it may be just ain't their day or they're not even really trying like that but if that was like you know switched into an actual fight clearly that wouldn't be the case but there's been a lot of um fighters over the years a lot of great fighters guys like Muhammad Ali and others who have been known and notorious that have gotten their ass kicked in sparring even if they've been known for just kind of leaning back a little bit but like guys have dropped them and so on and such so
1: yeah and yeah and I guess uh part of this too and like we'll we'll talk a little bit more about this and <clears throat> kind of like how I guess how this works or roughly how this works but I was talking to you before we went on the show that like uh, sparring these days is, and now that the conversation about CTE and what concussions do and repeated hits to the head do, I mean, speaking factually, sorry to open up talking about some grim shit. But since that conversation has opened up in recent years, we now know that sparring rounds and rounds and rounds and rounds leading into fights is generally not a good idea. Just overall, obviously you have to find some fine line between sparring enough that you know what it's like to have punches coming at your fucking head, but not so much that it does long-term damage like the sparring itself or so that you minimize the damage. I mean, however you want to put that, but in decades past and other eras, I think sparring was far more a piece of the training or, you know, more regular piece of the training than it is now. Like just a, another real quick example, Jack Dempsey. This is a guy we talked about when we, we talked about this, uh, something like this subject, like a week or so ago, Jack Dempsey in the gym always went hard, you know, all like never let up was always unable to like keep himself from fighting at full speed and so if that's what you're gonna do over the course of a decade or two of course you're gonna get knocked down of course you're gonna get your bell rung get the shit kicked out of you and sparring if you're constantly going to war so i mean you know that's there's gonna be a lot of tales like that especially from other eras
2: well that being said the first one i actually want to dive into um and I, this is one that I've known about since I was, like, young because it's been written about in various books and magazines and kind of added to the legend of uh, a guy who ended up being a tragic figure. But the story of when a young teenage Tony Aiella apparently kicked the shit out of Pino Cuevas' father.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess tragic. Is one way to put it. He's a total tre- I mean, just a bag.
2: horrible human being in general, bro. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't even, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's no, you, you're leave.
1: downplaying it, but you're, you're, I know your heart's in the right place. He's a total fucking dirtbag.
2: I mean, it's completely, but, completely, bro. That's, I mean, you like, but that's. He was that's-
1: incredibly talented when he was young. Incredibly talented. He, he was one of those fighters where he was on the cover of KO. He was, I don't know if he was on the, on the cover of Ring, but he was featured in the he ring was. for sure a bunch he of was. times. I,
2: he, was, he was definitely featured on the cover of Ring because I had it. And yeah. also, you know, what was Tragic was the, was the was the group he was a part of, if you really want to think about it. The Tomorrow's Champions, because that whole class was like doomed and ill-fated for various reasons. All of those guys. Yeah, dude. So that and in it- general, but Ayala, yeah, total dirtbag. But I mean, yeah. A gifted absolutely gifted from a young age one of those people incredibly who talented yeah and when he was a teenager kind of like mike tyson he didn't look like a teenager he looked like already an adult so and built like one as well
1: well not, i can i can believe that too like based on how talented he was based on the fact that you know everybody knew he was talented everybody knew that he was uh he had a lot of experience and that you know he'd started fighting from a young age and then also. Pepino Cuevas, like, by that time probably would have been, you know, a little long in the tooth. And on top of that, Pepino Cuevas was like I don't want to say one-dimensional. That's not giving him enough credit. But he definitely was always looking for the left hook, it seemed. So, like, you could probably catch he was him Step Chavez left.
2: when it came to, like, boxing and acumen and everything like that. But yeah, he definitely wasn't just walking in there waiting away, trying to murder you. Like, there was there was obviously, you know, layers to his game, but yeah.
1: yeah, he'd already been dinged around a little bit by then, I would imagine. I don't know exactly when that would have been, but that probably but, yeah. I
2: would say late 70s because, or, or yeah, definitely in the mid to late 70s because Ayala, by the time he turned pro, which was early 80s, um, yeah, so I had to have been like right around the time when Cuevas was closer enough to the in the prime of his title, it title ring, maybe.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could probably believe it too. But, but
2: like he, you said, he always was like kind of one-dimensional that dude like Ayala, even if so, was younger, person that gifted and already his size would be able to piece up Cuevas and sparring, especially if Cuevas wasn't thinking enough, you know, kind of... They had the air of a champion that way, too. You're thinking you're going in there fighting a rank amateur. You're not going to try to like, you know, it's not going to be that hard of a session. All of a sudden, this kid roughs you up.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. There, A lot of these instances, it could have just been catching them off guard and and like you kind of said like you said earlier you alluded to that uh, in some of these instances some of these examples it's going to be somebody trying to get it over on like a known fighter and when they're not a known fighter trying to make a name for themselves in the gym well you know sparring somebody that everybody knows or whatever Um, and in this thread one of the guys whose names whose name came up repeatedly at least in a in a few different portions with Sonny Liston. Yeah. I mean,
2: and a lot of, and that's, and then that's another one that's been corroborated a lot over the years by different, by different people.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's (laughs) funny because I've, I've heard, or I I guess I should say I've read George Foreman say on a number of different occasions that, you know, there are photos of him and Sonny Liston hanging out and stuff like that. Um, I don't know how true it would be to say that Sonny took him under his wing, but he was definitely in his camp for a bit. And George said that in sparring, Sonny Liston would go pretty hard in sparring. And that in sparring, he was Sonny Liston was the only person that could, yeah, that could like actually push him back, fight with him, go toe to toe with him, and not just run away from him or something like that and survive, but actually, you know, do some shit and um so i mean just based on that you would think that damn that's a that's a hard man like that's that's a pretty scary guy but then you read the thread and he's like he's dropped by him he's dropped by him he's dropped by him so yeah, according to this thread he knocked down hard by mac foster and a couple of posts later it says young jack johnson jimmy, Absolute Maniac, jimmy mccarter thad spencer leotis martin uh, Amos Lincoln, Ray Patterson, Mel Turnbow, Mac Foster, Gary Bates. So, I mean, it's a, that's, there are going to be people who hear that, that list of names. And they're going to be like, who the fuck is that? You know what I mean, they're, they might recognize like one or two of those names, but most of those fighters were, I don't want to reach too hard and say that, that, late 50s and kind of early 60s era was too underrated because yeah there were a kind of like a bunch of transitional eras after a champion had either retired or whatever that were kind of funky and that was one of them and it's Mm -hmm. not generally considered a super great era but a lot of those fighters a lot of the fighters that were mentioned it was a situation where a lot of those fighters beat the shit out of each other you know what I mean like it was like it was a round robin between a lot of those fighters who were probably mostly like B level, maybe C level, but better fighters than you might think of. Especially if you go and you find actual footage, which there is some. Probably about half of those guys have some video on YouTube, and you can find they're pretty footage, good.
2: Obviously, of Mac Foster, he was he was a really popular heavyweight, and especially during the time when um, Ali was going through exile and Foster was on the come up, stuff like that. He was considered one of the top prospects in the sport, you know, undefeated up until Jerry Corey upended him. So uh, there's stuff out there on Foster, there's stuff out there on Thad Spencer, Leota Smart, obviously famous for knocking the hell out of Sonny um, in one of his last fights. And um, there's photos of Ray Patterson dropping Sonny Liston because there's obviously people are not sure if that was staged or not, but people don't know Ray Patterson was the brother of Floyd Patterson. Yeah. Yeah, so... There's a there's a pretty it's, it's a cool photo you know what I mean I don't know yeah if but
1: there's like a it. there's actual motive behind it is what you're yeah. saying yeah yeah it's...
2: yeah yeah but there's that photo of <laughs> listing on the ground and you see uh, Patterson walking away smiling after dropping him apparently in a sparring session but well, the Matt the- Foster one is definitely the most corroborated where I've heard that like he actually <clears throat> knocked the hell out of Sony and Sony was just gone
1: well and also the dates on most of these is like who knows how old sonny liston was he didn't even know how old he was but you know uh regardless the dates on most of these would have been Mm -hmm. like it it would have been either around when he was a champion or afterward so who the fuck knows you know what i mean like it's really who knows and the comment who came the comment attached to that that came immediately after that his response was all of whom would have been totally smashed up by a peak Sonny, if indeed they are more than rumors, which I would say is probably true.
2: Absolutely, man. Liston, you know how I feel about Liston and others. Like He's just at his peak, and the way his jab and everything else about him, bro, you can't, like, a peak Liston is hard to, you know, I put him favorably against almost anyone in history.
1: Yeah, he, I think that what really scares the shit out of me about Liston watching him is similar to George Foreman. Mm -hmm. It's just that when the punches, it's, it's just the punches land and it's like their entire body moves. Like it's like jarring. And I mean, it's kind of like, like you said, like neither of us are been like world-class fighters or something like that. But if you've punched another human, like, you know, what it feels like that usually like you punch and your hand hurts. It's not like it's not in like in your fucking dreams and imagination where you're like you're like, ooh, ha, you know, and you're fucking boxing the shit out of somebody. It's like you land that first punch and you're like, fuck my wrist, you know, like that's more like it. But whereas you watch these guys and it's like effortless. Like it's like it's just nothing. And that's what scares me about a guy like Sonny Liston. You watch him and it's uh it's like the way that he is shaking dudes to their fucking core with effortless punches. That's what's scary. And like well, you said, his jab was incredible.
2: Imagine if Clay uh, Liston won happened during the Twitter age, you know what I mean? Or what it was around back then. Because like you mentioned, Sonny Liston was the scariest man on the planet at that point. And no one had ever seen anybody quite like him. Like, they've seen devastating fighters like Joe Lewis and Jack Dempsey beforehand. But like, Liston just brought a different type of aura that had never been seen to boxing, like you know, to the point where even the government was trying to get involved, trying to dissuade Floyd Patterson. Hey, please don't fight this guy. If you lose, he's not a good representation for us. Like heavyweight champion was still known as the man at that point, and Liston becoming heavyweight champion was everybody's nightmare. And um, yeah, he okay. just such like a very, very just intimidating guy. And the way you said to when he would knock the hell out of people, he just knocked the hell out of them. And while he was being shunned for a heavyweight title shot back then, all the other contenders that Custom auto was making sure Patterson wasn't playing, Liston was stomping them. You know, dudes like Zora Foley and Cleveland Williams, who had gone through their ways of the heavyweight division, proving themselves to be the toppest of the top contenders, and Liston just curb stomped them. You know what I mean? Just And, you know, you can almost, like, make the sense that, like, <clears throat> obviously he was a lot more braggadocious and, crazier and outgoing but like clubber lane was like listing you know what i mean and similarities just straight up like in movie version that was like they obviously that was like an influence of sonny listen there in terms of like just intimidation and destruction destroy that type of shit like it's yeah he was different just different man fascinating fascinating guy
1: and it was it was a pretty uh interesting time too because there were a a couple of different like dynamics working the fact that he was a black man obviously and an Mm ex-con was scary to white the white yeah with mob ties it's scary to the white establishment scary to white america scary
2: very conservative america at that point still like you know
1: and that's that's what's actually really interesting too is that like there was a a bit of a moral panic because i've posted uh, some of them myself but like for instance, like horror comics and horror, somewhat graphic horror movies got really popular for a few years in the 1950s. And all of a sudden there was this big backlash that it was like, that was bad. You know, you can't be showing like bloody comics and shit like that. Like that's, you know, you can't be showing all this like Satan type shit. And so there was a little bit of a like rubber band effect where, you know, they pulled the reins. And so it was like, dude, we got to be conservative about this shit similar to, and and so then also thinking back a little bit to other re- more recent heavyweight champions, Joe Lewis, who, for again, some racial reasons and social reasons was very reserved as a heavyweight champion, not very outspoken kind of leading to Ezard Charles and both the Jersey Joe Walcott, also pretty reserved, not that outspoken, even though Ezra Charles was a snazzy dresser and did a lot of shit, but, Rocky Marciano, also pretty reserved, not a real big trash talker, et cetera, et cetera. And so in the wake of Rock, of uh, Rocky Marciano and then basically to, to Floyd Patterson, again, really quiet, reserved. And it's not that Sonny Liston was, wasn't quiet or reserved because he kind of was, but he, he was like menacing. Even just his fucking presence was like menacing. And I think that even just in and of itself was a problem so I mean
2: I better, yeah absolutely it just was just to get in the gym, gym with him whole demeanor and his shady background and yeah America was afraid of him they were just just, like, we just to
1: get in the gym with him would have been fucking frightening dude I mean shit I whatever I don't know and who's said,
2: you know what and it's and the most interesting thing too and it's another thing I find interesting about listening fascinating whatever is that like the only people he ever felt he trusted beside his wife was like kids because they were just innocent, you know what I mean. They, and there's that yeah, all gift. the
1: photos of him smiling, or yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> that there's that
2: gift that I put that you know people have put up that where um he's holding up a little girl in his arm and then like he's giving her a scowl and then she kisses him on the cheek and then he breaks out in the biggest smile. you know, Sounds this? about right.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's yeah, he he was not a he didn't seem like a, much of a happy camper or a talker in that regard. But I mean, George Foreman's auto
2: uh, first because he wrote a couple of books, right?
1: I think so. I think he wrote like okay, two. Yeah. So three.
2: his first one, the first one, were like, you know, which book I'm talking about? The white cover with imposing on the front of it. I think so. Yeah. I, so that one, he talked a little bit about training with Liston. He said that too. That they, they didn't talk much. If they talked, it was only a couple of minutes here and there. But Liston was a very you know quiet individual. But Foreman was just giddy to be around him, anyways.
1: Yeah. Well, and on top of that, I mean, going back to the sparring shit, I I also kind of have to wonder. Like how many rounds? How how many times did Thad Spencer have to get the shit kicked out of him to finally, you know, beat Sonny Listen up? You know, or how many times did Mel Turnbo have to get knocked down to finally, like, you know, all right, Sonny Listen's getting tired of knocking you down and finally gets knocked down and so you know just, mm-hmm. how how many circumstances are like that? I'm just saying.
2: You know there's no's in some kind of like I saw something was broken on their face or got bloodied up before they were able to get some success like that. No way.
1: That's what I'm right. saying, is that this probably wasn't one-way traffic. That's all. Uh, that's all no,
2: i Absolutely not. Sonny Liston was not just walking in there blindsided and just getting an ass kicking and just kind of stumbling <laughs> out from it.
1: <laughs> Straight up, dude.
2: All right, so we went from one now that could be, like, kind of corroborated because it's been written about to absolutely hysterical. And this one, I'm not even going to lie, my dude made me laugh my ass off. So LMAO to this one. Um, this one involves Sugar Ray Leonard, all right? And one of his uh, future welterweight opponents, Bruce Finch. And this is one that I absolutely had never heard before. I don't know if you had, but when I read it, I started laughing more and more as it went through it. So um, Bruce Finch. Sugar Ray Leonard threw the ropes and out on the ring in a sparring session in Landover, Maryland. According the Bruce, both he and Ray got into a rough exchange. Bruce was backed into the ropes, and as Ray leaned in to throw a punch, Bruce countered with a fast right to the chops. Ray fell by Bruce and threw the ropes and was dangling over the middle strand. He then fell upon the ring apron and was out cold. And this was <laughs> <laughs> apparently in... Um, in, in 19, yeah, this was in. So, I, all right, here's the full article. Ray Leonard was training for his first title defense against Davy Boy Green, set for March 31st, 1980. Bruce Finch, who at the time had a record of 21 and three, 14 knockouts, had a style similar to Davy Boy Green. Was summoned from Chicago, Illinois. Bruce had gone through two earlier sessions with Ray. On the third day, Bruce was in with Ray again. It was the second round, and I was asked to attack Ray aggressively, which I did. I backed him up. And threw about a dozen punches while he covered up on the ropes. Ray then waited and countered me with a hard right-left. I was stung and backed all the way up across the ring. Ray then moved in. As I reached the ropes with my back, Ray threw a left-right and was about to load up to throw another one too. He dropped his left hand and I bounced out with a right hand square on the chops as he was moving forward. He then fell forward to the left side of me and he hung through the middle rope strand and was dangling over the ropes he was suspended on the rope for about two seconds then he fell out of the ring apron he was knocked out <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry bro like come
1: on i mean you know it's it it's it's almost as if like somebody's describing this shit like they got video of it or something i mean, I mean holy please, shit and-
2: post that that was i
1: this is awfully detailed by the way this is the
2: same bruce finch that was knocked into another dimension when ray defended his title exactly uh in 82
1: so well and that's why there has to be uh you know it best uh a grain of salt you know it's got to take these with a grain of salt just because again it's sparring because even if they are true you have to naturally ask the question okay so like what does that mean what does it amount to and
2: yeah but i mean depends. that one is just like but
1: still I, don't, I, I,
2: I can't that's something i just can't believe that he knocked the ray leonard clean unconscious out of the ring laying there stepping that would have made the news somehow you can't tell me that would have even back then it absolutely it would have uh,
1: and i and on top of that it's like he probably wouldn't have been sparring the next day he'd have to like stop no, training camp been, and...
2: yeah the rumors when it went on they might have even delayed that postpone the fight or some shit. i don't know
1: suppose it could be possible but i kind of doubt it <laughs> but he had given
2: him a good sparring session and how they were doing it. absolutely i could believe that but you just say that he knocked you you knocked him clean out of the ring and ah man that's that's like reaching as far as like a guy on the street pretending to be johnny Bratton.
1: <laughs> yeah well I, I wouldn't be i wouldn't be too surprised with a lot of these is all i'm saying but it's just I don't know. That one I just found
2: like absolutely hysterical reading it because you tried yeah, then you you can see it in his head, like coming up with this and like telling all of his boys afterwards and telling everybody around. And I'm sure it's gone around because here you he are reading about it. So
1: well, and if it did happen, then he fucking paid for it. <laughs> you know, I'm really? just saying.
2: But that's not to say that the segue into another one. That's not to say that Leonard didn't get beat up in sparring because um, a true session that did happen to him was before he fought Hagler, and he's gone on the record saying this. Um, future middleweight champion who was still a young pro at the time, Quincy Taylor, uh, knocked Ray actually legit like silly in a sparring session where what Ray was questioning afterwards that he was even going to go through with everything.
1: Damn, yeah, <clears throat> I, I mean, I i don't know
2: that's been read about, and Ray's like told, spoke about that, Quincy Taylor. Um, who was, mid, who was WBC midway champion for a cup of coffee in the mid-90s, in the, in the mid like he knocked out Julian Jackson and then lost it immediately to, uh, to Keith Holmes, was, was a really good fighter, you know what I mean, from Texas, really solid fighter and was NABF champion for a while. Like, you know, he's, there's, there's footage of him out there, but not a guy that's really remembered today, but a very solid pro. And obviously, if he was in Leonard's camp back in the day, he was highly thought of. But, yeah, there's a story out there that he caught Leonard, I think, with a left hand that Leonard was out on his feet completely from.
1: I mean, I could believe it, dude. And also, like I like said earlier, there's going to be fighters who are wanting to make their name in the gym off of some other name fighter, or they're just going a lot harder because they're motivated because they're now sparring with Ray Leonard, whereas Ray Leonard's now sparring with fucking, you know, John Jackson. Mm -hmm. some random guy from fucking wherever and he doesn't know them from shit you know what I mean so I I could buy that there are situations where they could get caught or whatever but still that's a pretty fucking graphic and hilarious one
2: I mean it's it's hilarious man because it clearly thought out gone into plan and like something that's been like sent out there over the years I can just imagine, too, there's a bunch of dudes that be like, oh, man, you know, I'm, you know, one time my grandfather told me he knocked down Rocky Marciano in sparring. Did he? Yeah, he did. He told me that completely. Or Dickie Eklund for years saying that he knocked down Sugar Ray and, you know, getting free drinks out of it or whatever. And...
1: I'm sure, yeah, well, am sure he got some kind of drinks, but...
2: <laughs> well, just fighting Sugar Ray, I'm sure he got free drinks for life. I mean, you know, or...
1: I believe it, especially with the especially with the the mass locals, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but spe- like, go ahead.
1: Speaking of sparring, another fighter who was really known for sparring in his day, and again, kind of going back to that, um, I guess, you know, just being hit in the head and sparring too much, being bad for you but nonetheless uh, producing some pretty crazy wars and moments was James Tony and James Tony was infamous for not wanting to train or at least not wanting to train traditionally, not wanting to do road work and shit like that. But for the most part, getting his training out, doing a shitload of sparring. And um, I mean, Yeah, there's all sorts of stories from earlier on in his career. But one of the more famous ones was from the early 2000s. It was from either 2003 or 2004. I'm not positive. But I'll be brief. When I used to know a bunch of the a bunch of the people from Max Boxing and kind of do some work for them, uh one of their their guys was a video guy who taped a handful of sparring sessions and shit like that and uh i think somebody else might have taped this particular one but max boxing got a hold of it and put it up for everybody to see and danny green had gone to Wildcard and sparred james tony and it was it was right around the time that tony had fought jiroff i can't remember if it was before or after what and i'm not positive about the timeline but I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's up on YouTube if you went and looked. But in any case, um, the big thing was like, you know, holy shit, Danny Green takes it to James Tony, And it's like kind of true. You know, I mean, he's, he's kind of, I don't know, I, I guess I'd liken it kind of like the, the Jiroff fight actually. Jiroff, much- like pushing him to the ropes, you know, throwing a lot of punches, connecting on some, but not really appearing to do much damage. And then Tony countering back with some clean ass shit. But then Danny, the funny thing was that at some point, Danny Green started oinking at him and started calling him Piggy <laughs> and shit and was just like, come on, Piggy, you know, come on, Piggy.
2: And then the trash talking really started.
1: <laughs> and it took off and there were apparently a group of kids, some kids who were there like visiting. Mm-hmm. And so Tony lost his shit after the round ended, and was like, "I'm going to get my gun. You know, I'm I'm doing this. I'm doing that." And was you know it got pretty heated. But just that alone, I mean, and this shit's all on video too. So this one we don't have to speculate about. That's the nice thing. But Is that for uh, the
0: Max Boxing series?
1: Yeah. Well, and and like I said, I'm not positive who actually filmed it. It might have been filmed by somebody else but okay. it was filmed at wildcard and it and max boxing did like put it up uh, in, yeah uh,
2: i remember i think i paid whatever what was the feedback then like two bucks or some shit for the month or yeah bucks, i think it was It was, it was like 4.99 a month or something. yeah like yeah that. yeah because i did it because i wanted to watch that and then uh, the edwin valero footage i think
1: yep there yeah there were a handful of them that were like uh you know Dougie was the big I, I mean shit we can just skip right to Edwin Valero basically for this because Dougie was oh
2: man he was that's how he started his legend was his sparring sessions and uh you would know this better than I would because you're on the scene back then but that's how his legend started was um his sparring sessions with like the Santa Cruz brothers and others no he,
1: yes he had been brought he will I I don't know who brought him over to be honest but he had been brought over and uh, Dougie Fisher was one of the Southern California local boxing writers covering like, you know, stuff in the gym or actually going to the gym and putting in groundwork to see who, who the prospects were and who the kind of up and comers were, who the unknowns were, et cetera. And I remember him in his mailbags mentioning, holy shit, there's this, there's this Venezuelan guy, uh, you know, nobody's, you know, he's big in Venezuela and like he's ranked, but nobody, I guess had seen him here um, or whatever video there was, was really scarce. Again, you have to remember this; shits, the early two thousands, like doesn't seem like a long time ago and it wasn't a long time ago, but the availability of videos different, just way different. So in any case, I remember Dougie talking about Valero in the mailbags. And then he had also talked about him in like a couple fights and shit like that. And I knew of him um, and it was right when golden boy was starting right when golden boy was coming about and he got signed with golden boy pretty early and he showed up at a bunch of golden boy cards. Like, I think I've, I i might have even mentioned this on another recent podcast or some shit, but regardless, I remember seeing him and he was just this random ass guy who, because he like cleaned himself up and he'd have like, he had long hair. And he looked like super hipsterish and had like glasses and like he, had,
2: glasses. he was like on. wearing
1: a suit and like yeah. had his hair kind of weird. And so I didn't recognize him at all. I just remember thinking, oh, who's this new like CEO business guy? with Who's this guy? You know, because he's here's uh, he's showing up with a handful of other fighters and Oscar and shit. And anyway, I just remember hearing more about him than anything. And anyway, when he finally kind of caught on, it became clear why he was such a gym legend and i mean he he was like other guys we've talked about doesn't let up it was like he was always out to destroy some shit like if he was in the ring with you then i'm not saying he never took it light in sparring or never tried to learn but that guy was unbridled chaos
2: you'd you'd agree right that you know when he was finally featured on mainstream television or even like his early pay-per-view fights against uh what was it pit, pit- lua pit- lua
1: yeah pit- um, antonio peter i think
2: yeah, yeah yeah um he was already a changed fighter back then like the fighter that dougie that you're referencing and that dougie was even like and really hyped about back in the day was like almost different he wasn't he wasn't just chasing the knockout like when you know he finally like when he got um, suspended for a little bit. Remember with the with like the brain controversy, his head injury or whatever it was. Yeah, was he, it's like in
1: a motorcycle accident, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, he yeah. had a plate put in his head.
2: But I remember watching his sparring sessions, and again, sparring is obviously different than the the actual fight. But like his sparring, still the way he sparred then and how he fought it, and how he fought his actual fights was still really similar. And like he was such a reserved guy, kind of sliding around the ring, you know, feigning, doing this, placing his punches. Man, it was beautiful shit to watch, dude. He was incredible. And then completely different than the guy that started getting featured, you know, against DeMarco and Petalua and other, you know, so on like that, I noticed. But, yeah, like, man, just absolute fury. But them sparring sessions, man, he was lighting up everybody.
1: The way that he was go- – that's how he got noticed in the gym in the first place was how hard he was going in the gym. And, I mean, like I said, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like, you're you're going hard and you're – uh like iron sharpens iron or whatever you know type of shit but at the same time that shit all over time gets weakened and dull and i and i mean perhaps there's some argument for with valero that's what happened but yeah well it's pointless speculating all that shit but regardless he was obviously a a beast a a very feared guy in the gym Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. most definitely man well to go from that dude like i mean it's there's a lot of like what ifs with him too that people always speculate what could have happened with him what was going to happen i'm sure the pacquiao fight eventually would have happened
1: um seemed like it he, yeah
2: he, he was he was he was with Aram at that point right well by his last fight who who was promoting was was he still with arum i don't even know because i know gary shaw was with uh demarco uh
1: I'm not even 100% sure, to be honest. But I'm,
2: yeah, I'm sure that's what they were angling to. Eventually, something like that would have happened. But that would have been, as long as it would have lasted, it would have been an awesome fight.
1: I'm actually about to look because I'm curious myself, and it should say on, uh, so DeMarco. Oh, it just says Gary Shaw and Fernando Beltran. So he might have just he might have just been with like Zanfer okay or, or something like that i'm not even 100 percent sure but, but to go
2: from one southern cali uh gym legend to another you mentioned you actually alluded to him earlier when we discussed in the beginning of the show shay mosley yeah Shea dude. Mosley, as like a young amateur or like a young pro was lighting dudes up in the gym to the point where he actually altered a couple of careers because of it
1: you know um yeah dude he uh I remember again, kind of when he was transitioning from lightweight to welterweight. Well, I guess there wasn't really much of a transition. He pretty much just jumped from lightweight to welterweight, which in and of itself is a move that you don't see very often these days because of the fact that there's a whole junior welterweight division between them that in and of itself is its own animal but also because he jumped to welterweight to, you know, specifically with Oscar De La Hoya in mind. Um, But I mean, right around that time, I remembered kind of hearing guys like Dougie and stuff like that. Like before Max Boxing, he was part of a website that that was called House of Boxing. That was a Southern California based boxing website, which... That's I discovered them. If you if you want a little bit of a trivia, I'm not 100 percent sure if it's totally accurate. Um, but this is what I have heard from them. But that Dougie was the first ever person to get a credential for a website for like a boxing card. So for house of boxing.
2: He and was the first mailbag I remember reading. All the way back to um He was getting hate mail for Hopkins, Trinidad. (laughs) (laughs) He was like Hopkins and all everybody was like waiting, threatening to beat him up and all. Yeah. He had a
1: Monday mailbag and a Friday mailbag. And I remember both of them were were always, yeah, they were always
2: 20 years.
1: (laughs) Dude, Yeah. It's, it's been a long time. It's been a long ass ride, but it's, uh, yeah, that's where I remember hearing about a lot of this stuff because he would also had a SoCal notebook that he would do where he would kind of report that he would Mm -hmm. report on Southern California prospects or what he'd seen in the gym or whatever. And in any case, I remember back then he would uh, talk about like stuff that he had seen from Shane Mosley in the gym, just himself. And if you think about that, like obviously he's only seeing a really small slice of what's happening. So there's obviously a lot more happening. Mm And Shane Mosley had started fighting since he was pretty young, since he was like seven or eight or some shit, I think he'd said. And in any case, uh, I re- I remember also reading, before I had even read about what you're about to mention, that he had given Julio Cesar Chavez as a pretty young kid, well, not a young kid, but as a teenager, he had been put in with Julio Cesar Chavez to spar and held his own, and it sometimes gave him the business and was outboxing him, which, given he was a teenager, obviously extremely impressive because he would have been, you know, a, like pound for pound, Luis Cesar Chavez, that is, around that time.
2: Yeah, that was around the time when Chavez was, I think it might have been, this, I don't know if that was the same day that he sparred De La Hoya, where he, where he dropped De La Hoya or not, but around that same time. But yeah, Chavez was sparring with different amateurs at that point, and Mosley was one of the guys he went into, and Mosley was a phenom back then, and a gym legend. Like, he's known as, like, a Southern California gym legend from the early 90s for what he was for what he did, and like you mentioned, the Chavez session where they both went really heated, they went back and forth, and I wish there was footage of that, They might be, I don't know, but um, Mosley, like you said, definitely wasn't, wasn't slouched on that and held his own, more or less, but what he, was, what he did in terms of altering careers, the first one was a fighter by the name of uh, Zach Padilla, who I'm not even sure if we even really brought him up too much on the show. But Zach Padilla was a former WBO junior welterweight champion from the early 90s. So, you know, the WBO back then didn't really mean much, but Padilla was an all-action fighter. If he was around fighting today, he'd be super duper popular. Guy threw a bajillion punches around, actually held the CompuBox record for most punches thrown in a fight combined with my buddy Ray Olivera for a title defense in uh, 1993. So Padilla was a longtime fighter. He was 22 and one when he had to retire. And when he fought, um, when he, when he became WBO champion, he made a number of defenses of the belt, including the one I just mentioned against Ray Olivera, also stopped Juan Laporte. Like he was a very fun action fighter made for really good fights um, through hundreds of punches of fight, to the point where um, he was always, you know, he was clocking in at over a thousand punches out on average um, a fight at the end of it, until he fought, uh, sparred Shane Mosley, and they had such a heated sparring session that was that um, Padilla suffered a brain bleed, I believe it was, and he was forced to retire.
1: That's obviously pretty, pretty crazy shit.
2: Yeah, man, at the peak of your career as champion, whether it's WB or whatever it was, but Padilla, even though he was like a lesser champion, that doesn't demean the fact that he was still one of the top fighters in the division and was going to make for some money fights sooner or later. And yeah, it got cut short because of a sparring session.
1: And there, there are a number of different stories of fighters getting messed up in sparring or training or whatever. Um, or in a, in like an amateur fight or whatever mm-hmm. that, that have led to more permanent yeah. injuries or issues. But I mean, that's, that's pretty crazy shit.
2: That wasn't even the, you know, and Mosley wasn't done because when, um, a few, you know, fast forward a couple of years, Gennaro Hernandez, the late great former, um, junior lightweight champion was moving up to fight Oscar De La Hoya in the, uh, undefeated, you know, pay-per-view fight. And I think it was before that fight that I think Mosley smashed his nose in a sparring session. Yeah, before so he I, completely shattered it.
1: The takeaway is obviously stay away from Shane Mosley in the gym.
2: I believe that's the case. I could be wrong, but I think i, oh. I do remember reading some. Oh, yeah, but Mosley was an absolute animal.
1: Well, and I, I've, I think I've brought this up. Not sure if I brought it up on the show before, but it's just another kind of like little trivia tidbit, but another uh, wasn't in the gym, but it was at the Pan Am Games. That was where David Reed got his eye busted by, <clears throat> who was his name? Uh, Daniel Santos, the dude Margarito yeah. fought twice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Daniel Santos busted him in the eye and fucked and his eye up. Whoop. And that's what caused his eye to, he got like a detached retina from it and then wound up having to get surgery and then had a drooping eyelid and that wound up causing him issues throughout his career. And that was before he even turned pro and uh, allegedly why he got fast-tracked as a pro and wound up getting beaten up pretty good by Felix Trinidad. And he got beat up in a couple other fights too. You know,
2: Well, he was ruined in that fight, man. And I remember picking him to beat trinidad one of my
1: many you know definite fumbles he but, wasn't that far from it he started out real good he did but...
2: he did and i was looking real good too i was hyped i'm like man he was putting the beats on tito and then he dropped him you know yeah I mean? and, and, then, he, he and
1: him. then yeah dude you can't <laughs> drop tito like you gotta just slowly whoop his ass because yeah you drop yeah tito, you gotta you do what up. did
2: and beat him down beat him down so when you finally drop him he has nothing left to come back with but no you finally dropped him woke uh, him up and then tito yeah. just and that was one of the worst sustained beatings. You, that was, you know, that was, oh my yeah, God.
1: Yeah, that was bad, dude. Toward the end, it was like, you know, yeah, he was like hanging on and shit. Hanging and on,
2: just didn't had nothing else. He was like trying to smile to play it off, but you can clearly see he was in agony. Like he had, God, man, t- Tito bro. in 2000, bro.
1: Tito was one of those fools <laughs> who like, when Fernando Vargas dropped him, and that mm-hmm. was not, that was not, a super hard knockdown, but it wasn't nothing. Like it was a hard knockdown. It just wasn't like. It was just the thing is that, I think they made it seem. Especially the announcers are like, "Oh, Tito's hurt. Tito's hurt." But then he goes to the corner, and I think it's Jane eighty. He asks him like, "You okay?" And it's like the the look that he gives. He's like, "Fucking of course. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Get the fuck <laughs> out of my way!" Like, and it's like it it's right at that time where I'm just like, "Oh god, dude." And that was Every single time I'm now. watching that, I'm just like, "Oh man, this is gonna be so bad." But you couldn't knock him down. You only woke him up. That's the only thing that happened <laughs> against David Reed, though. You know, poor guy. He got fast tracked to Tito because of that eye, and mm-hmm. that happened just that happened in a, a Pan Am game. I think it was the final, a pan, uh, the final, of the pan Am, pan Am games, and I want to say. 1997 or something mm-hmm. like that
2: well no he won the he won the 96 olympics so had maybe
1: then that. maybe it was in 1995 because pan am games yeah. happen on odd years like they happen on like
2: so it had to have been around 95 yeah so then maybe he 95. had a the eyelid when he won the games if i remember
1: okay well then it yeah. was probably 95 because i know they're on weird years but in any case yeah it there are all sorts of these stories of uh you know, somebody getting messed up, like in sparring or in the gym.
2: There's a KL magazine that came out around '98, '99, whatever it was, and it had a photo of Argus and Reed on the cover, both of them posing up with their fists up together, right? And it was like, you know, hyping up a future fight of both of them. And I, I still have it because I remember like pulling it out the other day. I'm looking at, it I was like, man, Tito ruined the shit out of this fight. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, good old uh, good old fashioned all american junior middleweight showdown you know
2: yeah 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 you know another guy too that um that's that's had some interesting sparring sessions and it's been you've seen it too was uh mike tyson over the years
1: you yeah know? there there are a lot of like uh a lot of rumors and stories that came out of the gym for mike tyson mike tyson training camps like and obviously there's like i'd say two famous ones but there are a handful of them throughout the years, especially more if you read this thread. There's mm-hmm. a bunch.
2: Well, but, the uh, one that a lot of people and it can be corroborated right? because it's been seen was before. Uh, it was before he fought Buster Douglas. He got dropped by uh, former, you know, WBC heavyweight champion uh, Greg Page in a sparring session. And, not, yeah. and it wasn't like, and that wasn't just like a slip. That was like a legitimate knockdown. Page caught him
1: good. Yeah, there were uh I mean obviously there's every time I bring you bring up like Tyson Douglas or Tyson from around this time, dude. You gotta watch out because there's gonna be motherfuckers trapezing in and going like he was on so many drugs at the time, bro. His life was so fast. Fuck. And you're like, dude, I'm just talking, just saying what happened. Yeah, he was. It was pretty crazy, but there were still one, okay. <laughs> yeah i mean he really was not too far away from it so he, he obviously wasn't in that bad of shape but no uh yeah that's leading up to that fight that's definitely one of those kind of footnotes where you do have to wonder a guy like greg pa- it's not like greg page is total trash or anything but it's it's the caliber of fighter that you wouldn't think mike tyson would be getting dropped by greg page generally speaking so
2: and oliver mccall i think has been
1: and that's said that's the other one yeah. Well. yeah yeah that's the other one yeah i think was the other one that i was gonna say if you've heard then it's greg page and all of them are, all of them are wow what is going oliver, on Aldemar. oliver Aldemar. mccall holy shit go. atomic bull <laughs> the atomic fucking bull you know
2: well speaking of man it's only really, you know thinking of that like i've seen it's i don't i've never i don't think there's footage of tyson getting dropped by mccall But there's sparring footage of their sparring. It's, you know, it's solid fight. It's this stuff. So that brings the question of if McCall had not lost to Bruno, then, you know, Tyson would have fought him instead. And that probably would have been a good-ass fight, you know, if McCall had his head together, which, you know, is a big if at that time period. But um, Tyson... You know, if you watch back on his early fights, obviously, now in the early 90s and the way he looks and stuff like that and how kind of rusty he was, he was extreme. Even even in the brief fights with the McNeely fight, you see how awful he looked and how rusty before, you know, McNeely's McNeely. And then the uh, Buster Mathis fight, he was getting out boxed for two and a half rounds before he caught him.
1: In that of group. just like empty lunging, you know just yeah. Like, yeah, yeah you know like punching and then like having to follow through with the punch like almost into the ropes because he's so yeah, like he, off he, balance.. He
2: bad. and then he finally uh, he, then he fought Bruno after that. If that was McCall instead, that could have been interesting:
1: Oliver McCall is one of those guys who I've used this phrase before, but it's mm-hmm. not like it's like I invented it, but fights up or, up or down to the level of his opposition mm-hmm. a lot of the time like you put him in with somebody who like wasn't going to challenge him or was just going to kind of box him. And he was just kind of fall into that sparring partner mode. It seemed, but if you put him in with somebody who was going to try to whoop his ass, somebody who's going to kind of wake him up, then he'd fight back and fight hard. And he'd, and he seemed like the kind of guy who would get up for a Mike Tyson fight. You know what I mean? So absolutely.
2: Yeah, man. I always had a soft spot for McCauley, even after his, uh, his breakdown with Lewis and, um, I love watching that video of when he knocks out Henry Akawande in basically an empty arena, <laughs> and the way Aquawande just collapses and he hear him call, ah! <laughs> just chanting. It's awesome.
1: <laughs> well, and I mean, not to get too fucking real or philosophical, but I guess now viewed through the lens of having a better understanding of mental illness and drug abuse and the toll that those psychiatric toll those things take Mm -hmm. on people watching that like of course throughout the 2000s bro like the fucking lennox lewis oliver mccall rematch photos gifts videos of that was like high level fucking comedic response to literally anything you sad here's the photo of oliver mccall sobbing in the ring against lennox lewis because it's hilarious ha 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 everybody wow but then, like, you know, of course, now years later, we know that he was basically forced into this fucking fight, addicted to crack, and probably had a lot of mental illness issues that he was dealing with. And so viewed like the that, it's was like,
2: just like, no, I need a title fight, get it.
1: Kind of, kind of fucking sad, kind of, you know, real sad. <laughs> but, but I mean, like you said, that you had a soft, soft spot for Oliver McCall duties. He's underrated. And he actually had a better kind of re- career resurgence than he probably get, gets credit for, even though he wasn't able to make as much of it as he possibly could have. But he was already old by then, you know?
2: But, you know, just the fact that he was able to come back from his addictions and his men, you know, the. It's the a big W for sure. Through, that he had like a relatively successful, you know, comeback to the point where I think he yeah, like culminated against um, Juan Carlos Gomez or something like that. But still. It was, like, close enough, you know what I mean? Like, he was, he was ranked back up in the top 10 at one point. You know, knocking out Akinwande, everything. Yeah, man, you know, got to give him a call credit. But here's another one, man, that I found this actually pretty interesting. In May 1949, heavyweight contender Jersey Joe Walcott used middleweight Charlie Burley as his sparring partner. After one, after one and a half rounds, Burley quit and headed for home. Burley was given a severe jolting by Walcott and had his nose broken. That Walcott isn't kidding. He blasted me with a right hand until I was out on my feet. I never thought that would happen first day at camp. I'm heading for home.
1: Man, it shit like that really puts for me anyway into perspective. Like, so you have Ray Robinson, who fought as an amateur as a lightweight and was like a, a go- obviously a good sized lightweight but not a massive, well, I mean, he's a pretty big lightweight, but not a massive lightweight, I guess, but then moves to welterweight and is like a pretty good-sized welterweight. But then by the time he gets to middleweight, he's a little bit older. And even if you just look at not only video, but photos of Ray Robinson as a middleweight, he's not pudgy, but he's definitely not ripped.
2: Nah, you can see he had a little bit of a love handle at middleweight. Like, he
1: was still in
2: slim and really, really in good shape. Yeah. He ripped. yeah,
1: he's in good shape, but he's not in great, great shape. And his legs are, like, not super toned.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm
1: not trying to be a fucking fitness expert here. But <laughs> but then, like, my, my whole point is then the whole narrative is that he ducked Charlie Burley, right? Like, he'd never fight Charlie Burley. Holy shit, Charlie Burley, way too scary for Ray Robinson. So, okay, fine. But, the, you know, Charlie Burley gets in with Jersey Joe Walcott, who himself was not at all a big heavyweight, and gets the shit kicked out of him. And like I'm saying, I'm just kind of thinking of perspective here. And Ray Robinson was talking about going through Joey Maxim to fight Floyd Patterson. And it's like, just I don't know, just trying to connect all of these dots to me is like, I think Ray Robinson would have gotten slaughtered by somebody like a uh, Floyd Patterson, Jersey, Joe Walcott, you know, a lot of these type of fighters, especially if Walcott is walking through Charlie Burley, who himself was, you know, no slouch, but I don't know, just kind of adding perspective to that is pretty interesting to me.
2: Yeah, for sure, man. It's well, Walcott was obviously, like you said, he wasn't a big heavyweight whatsoever, but he moved in his style and the way he was slicking obviously he can match Berlin. and he could
1: bang too. Like yes, it wasn't, he, he wasn't a big guy, but he could bang,
2: but he was the way he fought at heavyweight, man. He moved like a middleweight. Like I love watching Walcott videos because you can almost put like uh, a beautiful jazz track behind him, whether it can be like someone like Hank Mobley or someone of that ilk and just let it ride and you watch walcott and you watch his footwork bro and of course he's going to be able to hang with burley he can hang with anyone in history man walcott has some of the best footwork you'd ever see and like you said he could bang because he was quick triggered. like you said his stuff came out of nowhere he just shuffle shuffle boom 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 pop and then he catch you with a left hook when you you know when you weren't seeing it or he catch you with a right hand anything like that and if you tried to bang with him he had really fast hands and he'd be able to because the way he shuffled his body and everything he'd probably catch you first before you caught him so yeah you know fighting him would be a nightmare and it's no surprise that he'd probably be able to bank up even though burley's an all-time great himself walcott was just a bigger version so exactly yeah (laughs) well
1: and that's what i mean is like i'm not talking about like quality or anything like that but just like there's limits like there's size limits
2: yeah and and walcott was just one of those guys i can just see it too he's coming off the ropes and just like it's great all-time great guys like joe lewis struggled to hell with him because of how he how. First, he was already past it at that point. And two, Wal a uh, style like Walcott would always give him fits because of the way he moved in. Like he, you know, unless you can really get to him and bang with him and catch him too, because Walcott could be hurt and could be dropped and everything. Like it, you're going to go through hell to get to that.
1: Yeah, there's there's no question, and I mean, dude, so it's not even remotely surprising that a guy like Charlie Burley or like a guy of his size would get hurt by jersey joe but damn i i'm almost kind of feel bad because i thought jersey joe was better than <laughs> i thought jersey joe was a nicer guy like he would be whooping charlie burley's ass and sparring but maybe not
2: <laughs> i you know man jersey joe like seemed like a really classy dude but he's also seemed like he took like pleasure in beating people up there's photos of him and his opponents all bloodied up and you see him grinning while he's just walking forward and just doing his doing his shit <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's enough video of Jersey Joe Walcott to know that he's a uh, he's a bad him. dude.
2: He's he's one of my he's one of my favorites, man. Like I said, I just I can love watching him and uh too it's too bad that like he's one of those guys that I wish I could have met, but he can't. He he was about a decade before I was able to uh get to the Hall of Fame and do stuff, you know what I mean?
1: Unfortunately I think that,
2: yeah, he, he passed in the early 90s, I believe it was.
1: And unfortunately post boxing career you know fighter career while he was he oh was, boy i know where well, you're going with this one <laughs> that, well and it, it ties directly to what i'm about I'm to say saying, man as, sl- as smooth
2: as he was in the ring during <sighs> his career he didn't that didn't translate as a referee did it
1: <laughs> oh unfortunately not bro and it, yeah in the in the <gasps> list liston rematch you know he had a real poor performance enough that it was mem- like really memorable. But apart from that, it's, it's unfortunate because apart from that, he was actually very instrumental in the New Jersey Athletic Commission. Like he was part of the New Jersey Athletic Commission and a big part of the New Jersey Athletic Commission and boxing scene. Uh, so that, that should have overshadowed his really crappy refereeing performance. But man, that, that fight is just like, it's cursed. It's just cursed.
2: I mean, yeah, it's absolutely hysterical from start to finish, the way he just looks utterly confused and befuddled and bushwhacked and whatever actually you want to use about it. Like, he doesn't know what's going on. And to the point where he goes to Nat Fleischer, of all people, to get advice. <laughs> then you, you see him, too. Who? What? Uh, and you know, Liston's flopping on the canvas. Ali's running Yeah, they're,
1: like, going back gets- to fighting, <laughs> and he's, like, running away oh, from yeah, the action. yeah, they're back
2: fighting. Yeah, and he just kind of, like, like, he runs away. <laughs> like, you know. But
1: it was I'll tell you, what.
2: you know my first introduction to jersey don't walk on i didn't even realize this as a kid but my first time i ever saw him was on a vhs tape when he was refereeing a match a boxing match in fact between andre the giant and gorilla monsoon in a <laughs> rainstorm in puerto rico
1: <laughs> oh my god
2: it's really yeah it's it was on some vhs tape i used to rent for like wwf or something but like it was it was you know in a compilation you see him in the middle of andre and gorilla monsoon at absolute monsoon no pun intended like coming down in water and stuff like that in the middle of the ring you see poor jersey joe like up to their waist trying to like push them aside and you know <laughs>
1: <laughs> well I, I i believe it i want to believe it anyway just because i i love it. the more jersey joe walcott stories the better yeah. you know well, like uh, you know, speaking of heavyweight champions and sparring, to Ali's got Muhammad Ali's got his his own handful of gym you stories. Can, you
2: could write a book on Ali's gym stories and what happened in Deer Lake.
1: Bro. There probably are gym. There probably are books about about it. To be honest, I mean, there's so many books about Muhammad Ali. I wouldn't be surprised.
2: That would be a book I would read. If there's gonna be another one, I would read about Ali. It'd probably be like a sparring partner's account of like how it wasn't training camp.
1: Well, we've already had that. That actually was one of my one of the more enjoyable uh specials or documentaries or whatever that facing Ali in yeah, my that's opinion. That's my
2: favorite one. That's my favorite one because it features his opponents, not so much just
1: Ali. Right. And I mean I'm not, yeah, I'm not trying to like trash anybody, but it's just like we know the Muhammad Ali story inside and out to the point where at least there's never been far a as fight as documented
2: fights. as Ali has been in this. Yeah. Over.
1: So, at least if, with like sparring or something like that, that would kind of be a slightly different angle. Don't get any ideas, anybody. Don't do it. No, I'm just kidding. No, I but I mean, uh, like a
2: dude from like the perspective of someone, say, like Tim Witherspoon, who did spend a lot of time on Ali and camp and sparring with him, or someone, you know, others like that. There's there's still people around from that era. But that would just be interesting instead of just another one like another version of an Ali biography or whatever you want to call it because there's a bajillion of those
1: yeah exactly uh, that's that's all
2: but as to you are saying man yes Ali has a ton of stories and a lot of sparring partners throughout the years
1: probably one of his most famous sparring partners or uh, I mean for a reason but Jimmy Ellis uh, had been in camp with Muhammad Ali being from Louisville um, Jimmy, Jimmy Ellis had been in camp with Muhammad Ali for a number of, I, I couldn't say years, but for more than one fight, I can say that for sure. Uh, so they knew each other well. And I think that at one point they were friends, but then, you know, finally it kind of came to a point where they obviously had to fight in the pro game, but there were stories about Jimmy Ellis doing very well against Muhammad Ali in the gym and, supposedly years later they had sparred again and uh, Muhammad Ali again we talk about the the idea of fighters getting up to fight a name even if it's just in sparring and this isn't quite the same thing because Jimmy Ellis and Ali knew each other but still you know (laughs) I guess if you're Jimmy Ellis and you're getting paid to spar Muhammad Ali even if it's like a latter-day Muhammad Ali in the late 70s uh, you still, you still might put a little bit, a little bit more into your shots than if you were sparring someone else. Maybe you know, but regardless, there was a story that in 1977, when he was uh, supposedly getting ready for Ernie Shavers, Jimmy Ellis uh, sent Ali to the deck twice in one round, according to this box rec thread. Uh, there's some quotes, so I'm kind of apt to believe it, but I didn't look them up. I'm not gonna lie but it says apparently the knockdowns were so severe Ali couldn't remember them. And it was said he would have been counted out in a real fight and it resulted in an injury to Ali's neck. Ellis had been retired for two years. So like I said, you know, it's I I would, I could imagine a scenario in which a retired Jimmy Ellis gets paid to come back and spar Muhammad Ali and puts him on his ass for sure. Mm. Especially that version of Muhammad Ali. So in any case.
2: And Ellis could punch. I mean, regardless, there's a lot of, you know, you remember the videos of Ernie Shaver stretching him and Joe Frazier beating him, stuff like that, but Ellis at his peak was a very fast, high-octane fighter who had fast hands and was a sharp puncher. And if he caught you good, he could, you know, knock your head off, too. Actually, he had Shavers hurt before Shavers finished him, so, like, you know, Ellis was a very good fighter, so, yeah, it's very conceivable that he probably got the better of Ali and beat him up a few times, definitely. Um speaking of shavers another story that this one is a true one was just you know crazy sparring legend was when he um sparred a, a fighter by the name of jeff merritt heavyweight jeff merritt back in the day and we've talked about jeff merritt on the show i'm sure before right
1: yep hell yeah yeah,
2: yeah. jeff merritt was don king's first side fighter um heavyweight with an absolute monster punch and a uh, very interesting background himself you know cd and stuff like that and unfortunately didn't really get a chance to pan out to his full potential but he showed flashes of it in his brief career And what he did man that guy was an absolute monster to say the least but um the story goes <laughs> that he used to spar with Ernie shavers back in the day and shavers used to take you know liberties with him and just kind of beat him up rough him up with him and stuff like that didn't take it easy on him and um merit Took the beatings, but always kind of kept that as a reminder, saying, you know, he'll get payback one day or whatever, because like he felt Shavers kind of took advantage of him. So, long story short, Shavers was training to fight Jerry Corey, and I think it was Archie Moore who was working with Shavers at the time. I could be wrong, but I'm just going off of this. Put decided to put Merritt in with him. It was like, you know, put Merritt in with Shavers to spar. And, um, Don King, you know, I think was against it, but he didn't even know about it. So, so Merritt got in the ring and when they were firing, Merritt broke Shavers' jaw, obviously, you know, ruining the fight and everything like that. And um, they freaked out. Merritt got in trouble. Um, I think Ernie Shaver, I think Archie Moore got fired because he was like, what the fuck? You just ruined everything. How dare you put um, Shavers in there with him and get you know, get his jaw shattered, all this other stuff. Merritt did that as a receipt because he said he did that on purpose to kind of, you know, payback he said for everything else shavers treated him and then gil clancy who was working with jerry Corey, when he heard the news he said something to the effect of you don't fight a jeff you don't fight a jeff Merritt unless it's for money like that was just a stupid risk
1: (laughs) yeah that's what definitely falls under the like into the category of like Jim legend, Jim myth. As far as Jeff Merritt, you know for sure. Like yeah, we already but... know, Candy Slim. We, we, we There's a little bit, you know, a verifiable, but there there's a lot of like to a lot to the legend of Jeff Merritt for sure.
2: And there's you know there's there's stories of Larry Holmes driving around with him and like Jeff Merritt demanding him to drive him to like the hood so he can go buy weed and other stuff. And while they were driving around afterwards he was ranting about what he was going to do to don king because he needed his money remember this was don king's first fight, fighter so obviously this was the first fight of don king ripped off
1: exactly <laughs> um, yeah exactly yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and jeff Merritt wasn't the type of guy you wanted to rip off either he was the type of dude that like he he was he was unhinged we could do our own show on this guy one day because he was such he was such an interesting figure and his story is, such, is so interesting but uh Yeah, long story short, he wasn't the type of guy you wanted to piss off. But there is footage of him. And if you see this footage, you can't, I will say this. You watch this footage, and then you would think of the Shavers thing. You'd be like, you know what? That makes total sense that he could break Shavers' jaw. There's grainy footage of him fighting Ron Stander. Ron Stander um, is probably most famous for getting stopped by Joe Frazier and his face looking like a railroad map after, you know, getting sliced up or something, right? And also pretty well known for um, being being uh, featured in a what was it the Terence Crawford fight? I think Crawford Gamboa. He was ringside for a bunch. I, you know. <laughs> I thought you were. When <laughs> he gets up that. and he starts going the, yeah yeah, and then he starts really feeling it because the whole crowd starts yeah. cheering him on. Yeah yeah.
1: <laughs> he starts getting into it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah no, yeah. <laughs> I I everyone, yeah. Everyone were, started, he's wearing suspenders and everything. <laughs> Oh, man.
2: There's footage of him fighting Ron Stander, and when I say this is an absolute ass-kicking, like, Merritt just thumps him badly. And there's nothing skillful about it. He's literally just walking up, and it's like some early 90s George Foreman style just walking and, bow, Boom! With this uppercut. bow, It's over and over, and Stander's a tough guy. He's not easy to put down. But he's just taking him and taking him and taking him. His head is snapping back. And any sensible referee would have stopped it after like the fourth time his head went flying. But Stander finally collapses. And then he gets up and then Merritt hits him a couple more times. The referee finally stops it. But it's 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 like sadistic almost to see, you know, and it gives you a slight hint of like what kind of like type of dude Merritt was. And you can easily see right there that he would definitely take a receipt to Shavers. For you know, being mistreated
1: yeah. as he felt was being mistreated. Yeah, and, and uh, I guess there are there are actually a, a handful of other those kinds of stories in boxing too, of uh, you know fighters who were supposedly mistreated before or whatever, and uh, or mistreated in camp. Who's the one with Jack Johnson? Jack Johnson supposedly uh, was friends with. Oh shit. I can't, I, I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, but I think that that was, uh, there was some rumor as far as shit. Was it Jack Blackburn? And that was part of their falling out about like something. I know. I
2: know. I think Blackburn was more just bitter at Johnson for the fact of just how, how he just acted back then kind of, well you know, anyway well. I,
1: I can't remember who specifically it was but there was somebody that it, there was kind of a you know turnabouts fair play situation but whatever I ain't gonna waste too much time on that but um, splitting the difference between Shavers and Ali then there's also a story from the earlier 70s that uh, Ernie Shavers was sent out of Ali's camp kicked out of Ali's camp because he managed to drop ali and ali supposedly said yeah he dropped me with a lucky shot it's a left hook and right hand and i went down for a count of two he got lucky and knocked me down that was just a training session it don't mean nothing all right does kind of sound like ali i'm not gonna lie but it said he said shavers must make a public apology before he's allowed back i could believe that that (laughs) sounds like ali for sure that sounds like ali for sure but i mean uh again, just circling back to the, you know, maybe you shouldn't spar as much, thing. you know, and, and Ali is definitely one of those fighters that kind of, uh, I believe, we seem to get that revelation or it's, it seemed to come, become a little bit more evident that uh, may, perhaps the sparring and the hits to the head and shit weren't a good idea.
2: Well, here's another one too, um, more recent still regarding the heavyweights. Um, Vladimir Kalichko and Lennox Lewis both have had some rumors of um, getting roughed up in sparring. Notably, Lennox getting knocked out by um, Lehman Brewster. That's a, that's what I read over here. I read that too beforehand, too, that this was before I think it was his fight with Rockman, Which, you know, what could make total sense? Because, obviously, he was not taking that fight seriously. I think he was um,
1: That was Ocean's Lehman, Eleven.
2: Ocean's Eleven, exactly, yep. Ocean's Eleven, and all that stuff going on. So yeah, conceivably. And for Brewster, you know, as limited as he was after a few rounds, man, that dude was explosive as hell. Like he was a beast for, you know, and tough, tough guy. And he had a monster left hook and, you know, I could conceivably easily see that.
1: I think as I kind of understand it, I think he was, uh, I know that he had a lot of connections and knew a lot of other pro fighters, uh and stuff like that as an amateur so he had a lot of fighter friends um and i think that from what i understand he was a bit of an underachiever both as an amateur and a pro but that that yeah brewster but that again for as i understand it in the gym you know as in sparring and stuff like that he was he was a beast he was a scary dude he he was obviously very talented but that it was just, uh, you know, his, it didn't really pan out or whatever, but that, uh, I mean, I, I could totally (laughs) see that he had punching power. He had speed. He did have skill, you know, you could see it in some of his pro fights too, but, um, another guy who I think that he, I'm not sure if he has one of his eyes anymore. I know he has really severe eye issues now, but, um, Yeah, he shouldn't have
2: had that Kalichko rematch.
1: Yeah. So, I could believe it, I guess is my point. I could totally believe it. And... Remember
2: when he blitzed Galata?
1: Yes. I totally remember that shit. I was not expecting... Dude, Galata was on a nice kind of like career resurgence, had some bad luck with some decisions. that's probably why
2: Don put it in Chicago, too, no?
1: Because he was
2: hoping that Galata you know, Galata would finally um,
1: cash in. Well, it's silenced. There was a big contingent of Polish fans there and they yeah, were just. Yeah. I think
2: Adamek was on the undercard too.
1: Yeah. That was bad. So yes. I mean, clearly there were moments at which he kind of like lived up to his potential, but just couldn't sustain anything, mm-hmm. unfortunately, but like I could believe it, you know, uh, I, rem- one of my buddies at the time worked for Warner brothers and said that he had seen Lennox Lewis on the lot, like more than once which kind of suggested that he was not taking the training that seriously and was spending more time being a celebrity and filming and shit um and also adding in the extra element of uh Hasim Rahman had already lost a couple times before that had already struggled in a in a couple of his wins like i mean he had to go through some shit to beat Corey sanders a lot of people forget that that shit was, that was actually a pretty good fight, fight
2: man. oh my god
1: dude. yeah nobody ever great talks fight. about that shit great so fight it was a real good fight uh so i mean you could see it like all right well you're only fighting hasim rahman so who gives a shit you don't have to train very hard i could see that but layman brewster dude don't sleep
2: no nah, no nah, absolutely not man for a brief period in the well, he won that belt, what, in like oh four oh five 4 5 around then?
1: Something like that, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, for a brief period, that was, he made for a lot of fun fights. Because he had that fight, he had that fight where he was basically screwed, where he had to go fight Chris Nicky on, what was it, Max Schnellen's birthday, I think it was. And, or um, close enough to it, remember?
1: And wasn't that the fight where, like, the ref is like...
2: Everybody was against him, and he finally scored a knockout to win it.
1: Yeah, like, there was, like, the ref was, like, helping Krasnichi up at some point. Yeah,
2: or... yeah, yeah. It was everything, man. But he he was, like, you know, he pulled a Siki, but actually, like, pulled it out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, that shit was, that type of shit is super frustrating to watch, but. Yeah. Even his
2: fight that he lost the belt in against, um, what was it, Layakovich? that was a really, really good fight, too, so.
1: It, I, yeah, I, for a minute there, I I was certain that, Sergei lyovich was like gonna be a bad dude but he was just for like like 15 minutes though that was about it but no it was and actually the the briggs fight was pretty good too but anyway yeah that see this is what happens is we start just ambling down these paths of uh random random discussions but yeah i could definitely see Lehman brewster dropping lennox lewis and I could definitely see, I've I'd actually heard there've been rumors, all all sorts of rumors about uh specifically Vladimir Klitschko getting dropped in sparring. I, I could see that too, because <clears throat> he's always, <clears throat> excuse me, seemed a little bit chinny.
2: For sure, for sure. Um, there's been rumors that his brother was dropped as too, Vitali, even though Vitali's been known to have a monster granite chin. It kind of goes both ways, but, like, you know, the, I've heard the rumor, and I've read this one that, that was mentioned on this one, that Fadi Ahunanya, who was, I guess you can consider him a fringe contender in the early 2000s. I mean, he was featured on a few fights. Uh, he was featured on an HBO pay-per-view, I remember, in a very forgettable fight, and, uh, you know, he, he was known, so I, I guess he was on the fringe of, you know, a fringe contender or whatever, but, yeah, they said he uh, he rocked critical. Kalichko, Kalichko's world and um in a sparring session and there's been a few other guys around that level too that got the better of him.
1: Yeah, uh, Friday Ahunanya was like among that uh right around the same time there were a handful of Nigerian dudes who were at heavyweight and kind of busting busting through there and about to about to make some noise and stuff like that who was another one like David Izon uh he yeah,
2: came a little bit before him.
1: Yep there were right around, that, right around that same time, there were a number of Nigerian heavyweights that were just like, came real close, but didn't quite get there. I mean, in Friday, Yahoo Nanya, he, he showed some spurts of talent too.
2: No, he did. He did. And he just wasn't very exciting about it. Uh, <laughs> you know, he, um, he came on the scene, I think when he beat Nate Jones. And then I remember the most I remember about it is when Cedric matched him up when, um, when Cedric had Tua on a little bit of a roll trying to uh, cash in with a collegial fight. He matched him up with Ahunanya. And um, that went the distance. But, you know, when was a win. He was hyped about it regardless. You know, I mean, He was like, yeah, yeah, we, we got another win. But, um, yeah, he was a tough guy. He was very hard to knock out, too. So, to bring to another point, which I'll tell you one was actually, like, it's pretty, um, adds to the, uh, to the aura of another heavyweight. Aikai Beabuchi himself was caught up in some shit back in the day that I read about in uh, KO Magazine. I talked about it with Cedric and some other people, but there was a session he had with um, Ezra Sellers. You remember Ezra Sellers? Hell yeah. Yeah. Ezra Sellers was, um, you know, cruiserweight, I guess, heavyweight at times, but a French contender, another one from, late the late 90s, early 2000s, but another dude who was a really, really good puncher, weak chin, but made for fun fights. Regardless, he had a sparring session one time with Ibea Bucci and got the better of it, actually. He, um they were you know it was a it was a tough fight it was a tough sparring session but like sellers caught him with some shots and at one point he caught him with a hook right here and whatever it was but he caught him. he um he uh, nicked Ibe Abuchi, caught him with a, uh, he him on the corner of his eye nicked him a little bit so the session was stopped afterwards while they were getting ready uh, after the after the session was over um Ibe Abuchi got out of the ring and he saw sellers getting dressed and putting his rings on and you know his jewelry and stuff like that right Ibe Abuchi Season puts him putting his rings on and snaps and starts accusing them. and goes, he had his rings on. He had his rings on. He had rings on. He hit me with rings. He hit me with rings. And everyone's just like, what? And before everything knew, all hell broke loose. Ibi he runs over, attacks Sellers, and attacks his manager and everyone else. Kicks Sellers in the leg and, like, damages his lee and, like, messes him up. And, like, goes absolutely batshit crazy because he said that Sellers was wearing rings when they sparred, and that's why he
1: was cut. Oh, the president. Yeah. Mr. President, bro. <laughs> <laughs> the guy was involved in so much, so much wild stuff, dude. I mean, yeah, I would, I would definitely needless to say, I guess I got to give a short plug, but Luke Williams wrote a book uh, called P- President of Pandemonium for a Hamilcar Publications that you should check out if you're at all intrigued about Ike Ibeabuchi. Um in the early 2000s, there were, like, recurring threads or topics that would come up, right, all the time, one of which was, when is Prince Nassim Hamed coming back? <laughs> Another one was, when is Mike Tyson going to be champion again? Another one was, like, you know, uh, when is when are we gonna see a focus zab judah <laughs> you know, some shit like that you know but that was but that these... was a big
2: topic that actually made like magazine covers and stuff. yeah
1: dude but you know this these this was among these topics was uh yeah that's fucking hilarious
2: but yeah man I, was, I, 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 was Bucci. I remember reading that when i was like young and seeing that in a magazine and like that whole story and i was like what the hell and first off, that makes absolutely no sense. Wow! Well, if he were inside of it, even if he was wearing rings inside of his glove, like none of that would. The size yeah. of sparring gloves, none of that would make any sense. None of it would even work.
1: I know. Uh, I know. That's like the that's some of the craziest shit. Was anybody it, when anybody is accusing somebody else of having shit inside of the gloves? I'm like, have you ever worn a glove? The yeah. fuck are you talking about? There's no room for anything. What you mean? know the
2: way he was describing it you'd always think like i go back to that episode of the simpsons where um you know when homer was boxing yeah and then mo puts on the glove with the barbed wire around it and he was like you know <laughs> that's the, basically the way i i Bayabuchi was uh was was explaining it
1: he's got a horse it's like a cartoon he's got a horseshoe with his glove
2: yeah yeah some shit like that but no sellers caught him with a decent punch he got split in his eye and then he got mad about it but the sad part was, he said that he kicked poor Sellers in the knee, and Sellers was legitimately messed up from it. And that's, he was, like, out of action for a number of, like, for a number of months because of that injury.
1: That's fucked up, dude. That is yeah. fucked up. Well, well, needless to say, Aikai Bayabuchi left uh, a lot of damage in his wake. I mean, it's... Do you think, do you, um, if his fight, how do you think
2: his fight with Andy Ruiz would have came off?
1: Oh, dude. I mean...
2: I was hyped for that.
1: You know, talking about fighting up or down to the level of opposition, that's like Andy Ruiz now. Uh I don't know what he's doing as far as his like getting into shape, not being in shape, dedicating to training, not being dedicated to training. But like it's it's sad to say, but it's like if there was one quote unquote top heavyweight that Aika Ibe Bebuchi would potentially have a have like a shot against it might be Andy Ruiz cuz he's like he's right there like he's so they, not... were
2: dis- they were they were discussing that fight remember when he first got yeah. out of oh they were like Yo, yeah.
1: in uh, Ibayuchi's like, 2014
2: 2015 i don't know when that was like 2015. he's had
1: all sorts of issues with his extradition and like his uh you know felony issues like there's been an uh, immigration status and stuff like that so it's like it's it's been an up and down roller coaster with that guy but yeah dude if there was one I guess Andy Ruiz at that point wasn't the top fighter, but if there was like a recognizable fighter, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know, but Ibe Abuchi's, you know, a, a wild guy, needless to say. Um, but some of the other, some of the other guys that were on this list, just to kind of go through a few that I, that I didn't know about anyway. And again, don't know if they're true, but found interesting. Um, supposedly Marvin Hagler dropped by Bobby Patterson in 1986 while training for Mugabe. Hagler claimed to be off balance but said it was a good shot. He got straight back up saying good boy to Patterson and it just states Patterson's record, which I guess was not very good. Um, Said he was retired at the time, I guess. Below that, it says that Ray Robinson was dropped by Coco Kid in sparring in in 1949, while training to fight Steve Belois. Uh Rocky Marciano floored for a three-to-four count from a left hook to the jaw while training to fight Don Cockle. And 55 uh, British journalist Peter Wilson said he, it was properly nailed, that it was a knockdown, no question about it. Um, and I guess Al Weil agreed. And so, if Al Weil's if Al Weil's corroborating it, then I guess it's it's probably. Pretty legitimate. Uh, Floyd Patterson dropped by light heavyweight Harold Carter while preparing to fight Terry Daniels. That's a full decade after he was champion. But nonetheless, Patterson wasn't exactly difficult to to drop either. Joe Lewis dropped in sparring by sparring partner Eddie Malcolm by right hand in 37, training for Bob Pastor. Um, Another Floyd Patterson dropped twice in three rounds by Mel Turnbow. Training to fight Ali again, not difficult to drop. Gary Patterson? Corey
2: knocking out Ken Norton.
1: <clears throat> yeah, that was a. I found
2: that one kind of eye- I, you know, that raised my eyebrows a little bit.
1: Yeah, I don't know about the, all the timing of that. Like, I think there's a little bit too many. <laughs> but, but I still but found I mean, that. You think about it. You
2: know, if they say that Norton was stopped by Corey, um, like someone did mention, there was a lot of bad blood in their fight, and Norton seemed to take a little bit of pleasure in beating the hell out of Corey, but conceivably it could have happened because quarry was you know this is the early 70s norton was still you know tweaking his style and he was he wasn't like you know a guy that had a long amateur career and was going through a lot like he was still working yeah, on this right quarry was obviously on the rise so it's conceivable that early on when they were sparring that quarry could have taken advantage of him and beat him up
1: that's true no that's true and on top of that it's not like uh Ken Norton himself was super difficult to hit. He didn't move oh, a lot back you
2: know? then. He was stopped and he struggled. And before he caught his stride with Ali, it wasn't like everyone was thinking he was going to be the next great thing.
1: Totally, yeah, totally. So I I could see shit like that, yeah. you know. And again, uh going again back to the the issue of that, like a lot of these fighters, like you know, uh, some of these fighters come up again and again and again. Lewis Ali, I mean. How, how often were these fighters sparring like five days a week, you know? So of course they're going to get fucking dropped. It happens. The
2: thing but- about Jerry, about Jerry Cooney getting beat up and sparring before his fight, with Holmes kind of makes sense now too, when you think about how that fight took, how the, how the Holmes fight ended up and considering that Cooney was out of the ring for so long and only had two, one round fights before that, you know, like he wasn't mentally, he wasn't prepared for that. He's kind of got shoved into his so many ups and downs all this other stuff like that that easily a guy like Leroy Codwell who we've discussed on the show and has been featured on YouTube and for um, I think Tris Dixon uh, interviewed him for his wonderful series and um, I want to say that like well he was just a journeyman heavyweight back in the day but one of those experienced guys that you weren't going to take him out and fought a who's who of everybody and they said that he was easily slapping Cooney around and sparring so and Joe Bugner as well so I mean,
1: you know. Yeah, and you know, I I wouldn't be I wouldn't be that shocked for, for a lot of these. It's just they're not outside the realm of possibility, and some of them are like, you know, given the time frame and stuff like that. Oh yeah, I could totally see that. And I mean, Charlie
2: magri knocking out Bruno. I have no idea what that was about.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I don't. Know. <laughs> I think that <laughs> that might have just been some some good old fashioned message board <laughs> tomfoolery. <laughs>
2: I'm not even sure if he reaches like Bruno's thigh, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know about tough guy. Well, you know, uh another one that's like it's not necessarily knocking down or or hurting per se, but another fighter who kind of made their name, at least earlier on in their career, as a sparring partner and as a sparring partner for somebody much more famous was Jose Luis Castillo with Julio César Chavez. Right. Um, as he was he was fairly young and at the time was i think a junior lightweight or a featherweight and was sparring with julio cesar chavez and doing you know a noticeably g- a good job and wound up kind of making a name for himself that way
2: absolutely man you know when he first came on the scene and when he finally beat stevie johnston he's built himself to where i would say he deserving to be on the hall of fame ballot so is he on? no he's not on the ballot yet right
1: um i i god i don't know i'd have to look but i don't I think, think so no
2: because someone definitely would be mentioned in his name or he would be brought up at least in consideration so i don't think so is in the ballot corrales is on the ballot why isn't he on the ballot well uh, that's a discussion for another day
1: yeah well <laughs> damn now i feel i feel kind of bad that i don't know immediately but regardless yeah he yeah. had a very very good lightweight career and you know kind of yeah, I, I guess there's no going wrong with sparring with Julio Sergio Chavez because has got no, already no, a couple of that's your
2: apprenticeship, you're learning from the absolute best.
1: Yeah, a couple well, fighters it, you already.
2: Can, you can even like use like Bernard Hopkins as an example. When Bernard Hopkins said that John David Jackson taught him how to spar how to uh, fight southpaws with all the times they sparred together and they trained together to the point where when they eventually fought.
1: Yeah, and then repaid him.
2: Yeah. And Hopkins ended up stopping him and putting him into retirement.
1: <laughs> yeah, repaid the favor yeah. Well, the true passing of the torch. Man, Hopkins really yeah. did go through that division. But that was uh, another guy who was legendary among the Philly gym scene too, supposedly, it was Hopkins.
2: Yeah, man, there's a story. They knocked out one of my favorites, Charles Brewer, i
1: That's I had heard that for years and Charles Brewer had that kind of uh, puncher's paradox issue where they can punch like a madman but not the greatest chin mm-hmm. and it, and when he got tired out too like it was over so Absolutely. i could see that for sure
2: yeah i'd love to see some of those sparring sessions from back then i know how vicious they were but they were just you know something that would be interesting like another one that i've actually heard about before but then it it was mentioned on this forum was like when michael moore um, first came on the scene when Emmanuel Stewart, they were looking for a guys, and Moore started tearing through everyone in the gym, and then he sparred Matthew Saad Muhammad and broke his gyms. Uh, gyms. <laughs> his, his, his ribs.
1: Wait, it broke whose ribs? Uh, Michael Moore broke Matthew Saddam Muhammad's ribs in uh, sparring. Yeah. I guess that would have been, well...
2: That would have been, like, the late 80s. Yeah, that would have been, Probably, been yeah sawed yeah, on the decline, 80s. for
1: sure, obviously, or well-declined
2: well declined. He had no business planning at that point.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think that while he he didn't have the greatest division or the greatest wins to go through more at light heavyweight, but he he still was at least in, as far as the eye test goes, pretty entertaining fighter and a good fighter at light heavyweight anyway.
2: Oh man, he was awesome, dude. If you watched him, he's he matches he does match up well with like anyone from that era or if you want to, like, put him up with uh, certain guys in history, I know I'm i not going to put him at the top realm, but I think he'd make for fun fights with all of them. Like, more was an absolute monster at that weight. He just oh. obviously couldn't, you know, stay there that long. But I think the fact that he had that how tough it was for him to make weight and just his demeanor at that point made him such a bitter, angry guy that it, he took it out on his opponent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no shit. He had, a, yeah, he had a hell of a time making yeah. light heavyweight. He just wasn't a huge like, a guy. So, going to heavyweight was, like, like against the size of but, fighters. You know, when he moved to
2: heavyweight, up. he just kind of let himself go to it. It wasn't, like, a holy field. Yeah. But that, like, kept himself in shape or a dedicated or even, like, Michael Spinks, for example. But, like, he just kind of, like, you notice right away after his first few fights and then after that he just kind of, oh, that's it. Fuck it.
1: Yeah. No shit, dude. Well, I mean, I, I at least with Michael Moore, you know, I, I believe that he could be a pretty formidable gym fighter, but unfortunately, it's got to come against one of my favorites and Matthew Saad Muhammad. Poor guy.
2: Yeah, man, that's not a sparring session I'd be looking to find footage of. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's just, You can find me anything with like General McClellan, any of the other guys from the Cronk gyms, some other stuff from the Philly gyms, all that. The West Coast, sure. Find me all that. Find me a washed Matthew Saad Muhammad getting beat up by young guys.
1: I'm good. <laughs> yeah no i'm good with all that but no dude it's uh you know all all of these kind of gym tales and legends and myths and all of those things dude i think they're definitely among the more fun things to talk about in the kind of mythical realm i guess some some of them fact factual and realistic realm of boxing fandom and shit you know
2: i mean that's just what makes everything so fascinating about the sport that you can have a full discussion about what goes on in the gyms and you know, the the behind the state, behind the scenes, behind the fights, and all that type of stuff. It's awesome.
1: Totally, dude. Well, hey, man, I, I appreciate you hanging out and doing another nerd out discussion with me, bro. Yeah, it was a blast.
2: This was a really good one. This was <laughs>
1: for sure. <laughs> Always a good time. Well, hey, everybody, thanks so much for watching. If you watched and uh, listening in, if you listened in, I very much appreciate it. While you're waiting for the next show, I don't know what it'll be. We'll figure something out, but. Go on to YouTube, for instance, if you'd like to subscribe there or subscribe on one of the various podcast platforms that we're on. You can give us reviews on any of them or comments, replies, all of those sorts of things. But we're also on social media. So if you're on Twitter, for instance, follow my buddy Eris Pina at Punch Zone Eris. Follow me, Patrick Connor, and Patrick M. Connor, Facebook, Instagram, all of those sorts of things. And take it easy because we'll see you next time. Eris, talk to you soon, bro.
2: Have a good one. Thanks, everyone.
1: Peace, everybody.